Yo, what's up guys? It's Jonathan Bame here. Today is the 12th of August 2014 and we are back for a new edition of these roundtable discussion podcasts. Every time we do this, we invite a different artist or artists on the podcast here and we take questions that you guys have submitted directly in the Theory 11 forums. This past Saturday night, we posted a prompt uh, asking you guys to submit your questions for Steve Cohen. Uh, Steve Cohen, if you're not aware already, performs a weekly show at the Waldorf Astoria in New York City, which is not just one of the nicest hotels in New York, it's one of the nicest hotels in the world, and Steve Cohen has performed a parlor show, an intimate show, at the Waldorf Astoria, sold out for the past 14 years. Uh, so Steve is joining us on this podcast to take your questions. Steve, can you hear me right now? I can hear you just fine, JB. So first and foremost, thank you for doing this. We got a ton of amazing questions uh, all across the board, ranging from your influences to your experience to your advice for young magicians, uh, everything in between. So before we get started, thank you for taking the time to do this. Absolutely. Well, I'm glad to see that there is such interest in uh, in you know asking these questions, and I uh, can't wait to get to them. So let's uh, let's get started. Yeah. So the goal is we're going to try to get to as many of your questions submitted as possible. We have about uh, 20 minutes or so. We're going to try to get through as many as we can, uh, and let's just get started right now. The first question I wanted to uh, ask you is from Justin R. It's the first question posted in this thread, and it says, uh, "What was the first magic show or magician?" That you saw live and when? So I guess he's asking, what are, you know, what are the roots of your experience in magic? What was the first magic that you ever experienced? Uh, well, the first, uh, the first magician I ever saw was my uncle, um, my uncle named Nat Zuckerman. Uh, he was a really talented close-up magician. Um, was a member of the SAM uh, here in New York City, I think, in the Parent Assembly. Uh, he was born in 1901, so he's he was, you know one of those old school magicians, he called his close-up tricks pocket tricks. That was what the term was. We, what we call street magic today it used to be called pocket tricks. So he would carry tricks in his pocket, like hot rod and color-changing knives and, and whatnot. And he used to perform those for me and all the other kids at our family parties. So that was the first magician I ever saw. It was my uncle. Um, but the first magic show I ever saw was um, on television. Um, it was Doug Henning. And Doug Henning was probably my greatest inspiration. Uh, as a kid in, in the mid 70s, like 1976, 1977, uh, that was when I knew I wanted to become a magician. Was when I saw Doug Henning performing uh, on television with with Bill Cosby and uh, and various uh, celebrity guests, so that was my biggest inspiration. And that was your inspiration of why you wanted to make magic a career, or or what was? It was I, I just knew I wanted to become a magician. It was just he captured a little boy's. Uh, interest in magic, you know, by, by making magic seem so real and believable. And, um, you know, for what he gave to me, I wanted to give to other people. He just gave me that hope and that belief that, that anything is possible. And I don't know if you ever saw any of the Doug Henning TV shows. Some of them are probably online, like on YouTube uh, now. But it's worth going back to see because I, I don't think he, I think his shows were t are timeless. Um, they really show the, the 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 youthful joy of magic, and you know, as a kid myself, I thought that's what I want to do, and I wanted to dedicate my 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 life to it. Post number six here is from Jeremiah Dean in Arizona, so it's a good follow up here. Um, that that talks about the roots of your experience, but your show at the Waldorf is kind of a parlor show. It's an intimate environment. It's in this private suite in the Waldorf Towers. Uh, the, his question is, how did you decide you wanted to perform parlor magic? So how did you 
um, make this segue between seeing uh, Doug Henning on television doing magic on TV and what got you to doing a show in an environment like uh, you know the Waldorf Astoria what uh, was the inspiration of that I know you talked uh, previously uh, I think a podcast before about Hofsenzer, um and magic uh, back in that day what 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 uh, captured your interest about parlor magic and this intimate type of theater so much Right. Well, you know, we're skipping a lot in between. So, you know, from a little boy who was interested in Doug Henning to suddenly having my own show at the Waldorf Astoria, there's a lot of uh, a lot of backstory that that we have to kind of go over just to make it really easy to understand. Um, you know, when I was a kid growing up, I ended up doing birthday parties. I was performing at birthday parties all around my area. Uh, I lived in Westchester County, New York, just north of Manhattan. My parents would drive me from you know house to house doing these birthday parties that I got booked at um, on the weekends. So I was really, I mean, I went back to some of my notebooks just recently uh, where I have records of all the performances I did, and I did hundreds and hundreds of shows um, during my um, my high school, my middle school and high school years, um, you know, working in the trenches for little kids doing a, you know, an hour long or 45 minute long show. So that was a way for me to kind of make money doing magic and it was a way for me to keep the business going so that I can keep my love of learning magic uh, alive. You know, the money that I earned from those shows, I put back into buying more books and the books I bought were all card magic books. I love card magic. That's my, my ultimate passion. And I ended up later on in high school getting a job as a table hopping magician at a restaurant uh, in my town where I was able to actually do what I wanted to do. I didn't really want to do kids' parties. I wanted to do close-up magic. I thought that was really where you know the heavy hitters would uh, would direct their attention. I wanted to work you know doing hardcore sleight of hand. So I was able to do that at these restaurant gigs that I got, um, and I did those all through high school and through college even. But you know at this point you realize there's only so many people you can impact when you're working one-on-one or one-on-five or one-on-six or something like that. Um, and I wanted to be able to reach more. And um, I'm, not a really, I'm not a great stage performer, although I have done my show on stage at Carnegie Hall, and that was a great, a great night. It was a huge success. Um, but doing like, you know, a show for, let's say, about 40 or 50, 60 people, that's about the range I feel comfortable with. So you know, I used to do these, these birthday party shows. I know that I can stand in front of a crowd of you know, unruly you know, six and seven year olds. Um, but what about, you know, performing for adults? I thought that's where, that's where I wanted to place my attention. And, um, you know, I went back to the roots of magic and saw where, um, where what we do now really began, which is with these parlor magic shows that Robert Houdin used to perform and Hofstenzer used to perform. Um, Charles Bertram used to perform in England and that was the style that really spoke to me, that performing in an elegant environment, doing sleight of hand tricks. I was able to do the card magic that I love so much and you have an appreciative audience of people who are you know, there to see magic. That's, that's what really inspired me. Um, just to recap, I know you, mentioned, you might have mentioned it in that answer, but Four Leaf Clover, post number eight is asking, what age were you when you first got your first gig? Like when did you start performing uh, for paid gigs or for parties and that kind of thing beyond just showing magic to friends and family? Uh, my first paid performance was at age 10. I got paid uh, $25, and I um, performed for a group of four-year-olds at a birthday party in my town. I remember the boy's name, even. His name was Daniel Gertzenzang. So if he's ever uh, listening to this, hello, Daniel. You're a great first audience. And it was $20 uh, for the show? 
It was twenty five dollars. Yes, but and so by after, the way, after, you know, in after in nineteen in nineteen eighty one, that's that's a lot of money. You know, at twenty five dollars, you know, that could buy uh, quite a bit. So you, I was able to use that money, and I pumped it all back into the magic business. I used to buy more props from Canons, and um, I used to buy more books, and uh, that was all. You know, it was it was fodder for my magic. You know, I've never thought of magic as a business. I've always thought of it um, as as a you know as an art and as a craft that I wanted to to develop. But I realized that if I wanted to spend time in my magic, I had to have the resources to do that. And so therefore, it was almost like a necessary evil. I had to start charging people to pay me for my magic so that I can keep the magic you know, uh, business alive. After you did four of those shows for $25, were you the 100 Errors Magician? I was the 100 Errors Magician and <laughs> slowly worked up to the 1,000 Errors Magician. And um, I've actually, you know, I've performed for over... 50 billionaires uh, in my life and you know I've, I've thought maybe I should call myself the billionaires magician but the fact is it's not, it's not big enough there's not a big enough market you know there's there's, there's <laughs> several million millionaires in, in, in you know in, in the country but um, not enough billionaires to make that feasible you'd have to redo your stationery as well so just keep it the way exactly <laughs> I can just white it out I'll just white out the uh, the M and change it to a B um, so you talked about performing so often and performing so much there's a question here from the sunny G post number nine He's saying we all have days or weeks where we just get kind of bored of magic. Do you ever feel that way after performing for 14 years at the Waldorf and all these years before? There are ever days, but even before your show at the Waldorf, where you're just like, "Ugh, I'm tired. I am stressed about something unrelated," and you are not into it. How do you uh, overcome that feeling? Um, how do you maintain inspiration and stay passionate about everything? Right. Well, you know, um, of course, I mean, I'm a person like anybody else, and, and there are days where I feel high and days where I feel low and, and everywhere in between. Um, but when you go in front of the audience, they don't care. They do not care at all about your personal problems. They don't care if you had an argument with your kids or your wife. They don't care if you've, you know, if you've won the lottery or you lost all your money. They care about their experience starting from the point that they sit down. So... I always feel it's my obligation, no matter where I am emotionally, no matter where I am, you know, in, in my uh, in my daily routine, that I have to give them my absolute best, and that's the training that I got from when I was in the theater um, uh, classes I took when I was in high school. We used to do five uh, performances every weekend when we were doing these these musicals, uh, and I acted and sang and, and danced on stage, and I learned that you know from our our theater director these people don't care about your last performance. They don't care about your next performance. They care about this performance. And, you know, a lot of these people also, they're coming to see the show with very high expectations. So if you go in there treating them as anything but the most important thing in your life at that moment, then you're doing them and yourself a disservice. So, you know, have I ever felt times where I was bored of magic? Sure. Have I ever had times where I was thrilled to do magic? Absolutely. And, you know, my job, though, is to give them that best performance every single time. So do I ever um, feel down? Well, I, actually, I've, I figured out a way to, to keep my energy high. Caffeine? Um, and, uh, no, not caffeine. <laughs> not caffeine at all. Uh, I actually make my own um, kale salads before, uh, before a show um, at home, and then I bring the salad with me to my show. Remember, I'm doing five shows every weekend at the Waldorf, so... Um, I do two shows on Friday night, three shows on Saturday, uh, a matinee and two evening shows. So in order to keep the energy high, I have the kale salad um, before my evening shows. And I don't know what it is about kale, but it just 
gives me immense amounts of energy. Do you I use, never do you, get do you tired. Use, do you use Red Bull as a sour, uh, salad dressing? <laughs> yeah, I probably should. Um, but yeah, it's like kale and, and avocados and uh, olive oil and lemon juice. I mean, it's, it's a very simple salad, but it's, it just gives me all the energy I need. The other thing, I, the other trick I have got um, to keep energy high is I, um, I, if I'm doing five shows, and this goes for anyone who's doing more than one performance, is I think of all five of them as one giant show. And I distribute my energy in like an arc. Uh, imagine an arc of five shows. Like the f- show number three is at the peak of that arc. Um, like I'm, I'm kind of uh, doling out just enough energy to make people feel like they're getting a great show. But I'm purposely not exerting all my own energy um, for each show. So it's like a marathon runner. You know, you, you, you save your energy for the end. And uh, I try to dole it out in good proportions. So I don't kill myself. It, I mean, it is something to be said about you are human and you're doing five shows a weekend. That means that you're on stage for how many hours a weekend? It's an hour and a half show. Um, you know, so you're looking at uh, seven and a half hours of performing. But in addition to that, then you've also got um, the setup, the, 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 the preparation time and the cleanup time. And one of my signature tricks is think a drink, you know, the any drink called for, where I pour any drink people ask for from a teapot over and over again for various people around the room. And when you're dealing with liquids and, and whatnot, you know, there's a lot of cleaning and a lot of preparation, sanitation, of the, sanitizing rather, of the, of the props to make sure everything is clean and, and um, sanitary. So that also takes at least an hour before each show for each, you know, each performance. So there's a lot of, I mean, people don't realize how much work goes into it behind the scenes. They think I just show up and do these shows, but in fact, I spend the entire week preparing for those shows. Yeah, and it's it's just the the time and it's the energy and it's also just you know you've got to be present um, for all of those mentally as well. Which Absolutely. Is, so if you're on stage for seven and a half hours per weekend, I mean you know uh, David Copperfield's performing fifteen shows a week right now in Las Vegas, and it doesn't matter what else. Like uh, not to be Debbie Downer, but last night uh, Robin Williams passed away. And yeah. I learned of this on the phone with David last night, about 10 minutes before he was going on stage for his seven o'clock show. So mm-hmm. just imagine, you know, it being in, you know, obviously David knew Robin Williams, but um, just having that in your head right before you're going to go out to perform for audiences and make them happy and, and, and you having to do that no matter what is going on in your life, no matter what, you know, you're busy with your kids and you know you might be helping your daughter with your homework or your son with this and you have to just be present you have to block out anything else and you exactly. have to keep living. that's the key that's the key to being a, i think to being a, a successful performer is that you're not doing it for yourself you're doing it for other people and you know in many ways you're a magician is part of the service industry you know you're you care about the customer first and you know I, i've i know what the magic effect is going to look like i know how it's going to all play out but the audience doesn't, so it's my job to give them that sensation, that experience, um, and that's where I derive pleasure. I derive pleasure from giving people that emotion, giving people because magic doesn't happen in your, from your eyes; it happens in your in your head and in your heart. And so, you know, one of the things that one of the uh, ideas I had when I was working on my show in the beginning was, will the show be about my skill or will it be about magic? In other words, what do I want people to walk away from this show with? Do 
Do I want them to walk away saying, this guy's got great hands? Or do I want them to say, man, that guy is magic? And I think that you have to make that decision, you know, as a performer. If people are looking at you saying, this guy has just got great hands, I, I, personally, I don't feel that's a great compliment. Like, I hope that I can give people the feeling that, that I have the key to this world full of magic and they want to come back and see it again. Yeah. You inspire them to do something, feel something, uh, be something with, you know, do something themselves, not just that was cool. The thing you do with your hand, you know, the technical ability is great. Right. Right. And so that's, and that's the other thing, like, you know, you asked about 14 years, you know, and I see some of the questions I've looked at the forum here on theory 11 forum to see what the questions that uh, folks have written in about. And like people sometimes ask, you know, about like, how do you keep that interest alive for so long? How do you keep it exciting for yourself? And, you know, it's, it really has to do with the fact that, um, you know, I'm trying to just keep on giving people that feeling of magic. I, I want to remember, I want people to remember how I felt when I first saw Doug Henning perform and do those amazing illusions that took my breath away. And in my own way, using the tricks that I've, you know, mastered over the years, I want to try to give people that same sensation. So that when they walk away, they say, that was the greatest magic show I've ever seen. Because I think that should be the goal of any magician. Like, if you go out there and you just do the latest trick you've been practicing, you let's say you learned a new trick off of the Theory 11 website, or you learned a trick from a Larry Jennings book, or whatever it is, you know, if you just try out your newest trick because it's interesting to you, that doesn't mean it's the best thing for your audience. So I think that you have to make decisions. And the decision is, you know, what is my audience going to walk away from my performance thinking? Are they going to think, oh, yeah, that guy just did a good trick? Or they're going to think, oh boy, how did he get that card stuck into my pocket? Or they're going to think, man, you know, how is that even possible? He just changed the way I see things. Yeah, I, I need to see more of this. I want to see more. I have to tell other people about this. And that's my goal. The last, the last reaction is the, is the goal I have, which is, you know, how, how can I make people become my advocates? So the, they have to be my sales force. Like, that's one of the ways I've been able to keep this show running for so long at the order of that. It's all word of mouth. I don't advertise. I have a zero dollar budgeting budget for for um, for ad marketing, and despite that, you know the show is sold out every single show for over a decade. You know the first few years were tough to get people in the door, but then after about three four years of of doing the show as a struggle, it was just word of mouth. Is that that um, uh, threshold of of getting over the the glut of need, needing a lot a lot of people that were able to, to know about it. Um, After you reach that critical mass, then then suddenly people are just chatting about it, you know, to each other. That's really where you know the the business has uh, has grown from. So no matter how successful you are as a performer, as you become successful as a performer, as you do a lot of shows, you'll encounter spectators that you don't uh, reach. That are people that are you know turned off by magic. That some some reason something else is going on in their head, uh, or they feel like they're they're defensive those people become hecklers. Uh, so there's a question here, uh, Paul Smurphy7 in Scotland, number post number 15 is asking um, about hecklers. Obviously you've done so many shows, you're doing five shows a weekend, uh, you've done this for 14 years. That means you've come across pretty much every type of audience member you've seen before. Uh, the best audience member, the most expressive, and also the absolute worst. Um, how The question's asking, how do you deal with hecklers or people who are just trying to give you a hard time? Um, well, you know, I think that part of um, hecklers, uh, part of the idea of having a heckler, comes from the attitude of the magician. So I don't actually, personally, I don't have any hecklers. There's no hecklers at all in my performances. And that's because I've 
um, there's a great quote, one of my favorite quotes. Um, I believe this might have actually been Slidini's uh, quote, which is that a magician has to be like a general. You have to choose your own battlefield. And by that, it means that you kind of set up the environment. You create the environment yourself for um, the way that an audience will react to you. So if you put yourself into a challenge scenario where you're saying, hey, you know, you'll never catch this, then of course you're going to have people who are going to be snippy back towards you. But if you're showing something in, in the way that I do, which is, you know, expecting people to, um, you know, just ex- watch you and enjoy you and, and, um, and if they watch you long enough, they start to fall into your rhythms and to, um, to accept the art that you're, that you're trying to create, then you just don't get that. And, you know, especially in my case, we also have a dress code and people are on their best behavior because, the, you know, the room is well lit and everyone can see each other. You know, it, the environment I have doesn't really allow yeah. for, it, it doesn't facilitate any sort of hecklers. But I suppose that if people, you know, get hecklers, it, it really, you might want to reconsider the way that you are presenting your magic. Um, there's a question here about advice for other people, but uh, the question comes from, let's see, Boomer, post number 19. What's the best piece of advice that someone has given you? Um, best piece of advice that someone has ever given me was from my manager, um, and her advice is let everything happen in real time. And that's like the mantra that I always uh, have whenever she and I are working on a new project and we expect things to happen right away. For example, you know, how successful is this sh- is this show going to be that I'm doing? You know, this 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 live show that I've been running for all these years. I wanted it to be super successful as soon as I started it because I believed in it. I thought this this show is going to be my you know my mark in the world. I'm going to make my mark with a, a, a parlor magic show called Chamber Magic. But this is going to be it. And I expected everyone to just flock to me like if you build it, they will come type of thing. But you know, her mantra was let it happen in real time. That means just you know. Keep on working at it. Keep on working at it. Don't don't give up. Believe in your system. Believe in your project. But you know, don't expect it all to happen right away. So if you get like a, a, a media hit, let's say you know you're on TV or you get a, a newspaper coverage of your show or your performances, you might think that everyone's suddenly going to just stop everything and flock to you. But the fact is, it still happens in real time. Everything's going to happen. The, the other quote that I uh, I've got it from my manager also. I believe it's an African quote, which is, don't push the river, just let it flow. And it's a very kind of, you know, uh, Buddhist way of seeing things. That things will happen, in again, in real time. And if you just, you know, keep on moving yourself in the right direction and keep your eye on your, on your long-term goal, then eventually you'll be able to reach it. It's another good quote that's, uh, what was it? I think, a river cut th- cuts through rock not because of its power, but because of its persistence. Sure, yeah, that's, that's a similar, so how did you, a similar vein. Along those lines, how do you keep yourself, so, yeah, you talked about it briefly before, but I know before you were at the Waldorf Astoria, you were at, I believe, the National Arts Club, right? And, yep, and, that's so right. So in those days, before this was a big success, before you could say we've been sold out for 14 years, when you were just starting this, how did you keep yourself motivated and energized that this was go- this you were going the right direction, that this was going to be successful? How did you stay um, motivi- motivated and inspired and positive in the times before this was a 14-year success? Right. Well, you know, um, in my heart, I just knew that I I had 
the kernel of a great idea. And I also knew that if I had just enough people who could could know about it, then I could eventually make this thing work. And um, I decided I wanted to make this into a 20-year project. So I was looking really long-term. I wasn't thinking about what am I going to do this week, this month, this year. I was thinking, what do I want to do for the next 20 years? And I said, I want to do this for 20 years. So for that reason, um, it's always been, it's always been um, like, you know, taking things in small chunks and always keeping my eye on that, that number 20, that, that long, year, you know, 20-year goal. So that's, that's really what's, what gave me the inspiration is just knowing that I'm working, I'm like chipping away at my, at, you know, at my rock uh, little by little to, to get to that 20-year goal. Um, let's see, we only got a few more minutes here, so I wanted to try to get a few more questions and then we'll uh, save a few more uh, details for the end about what our project is, our first collaboration. Um, let's, let's go here to post number 50, um, and he's, he's really talking about magic on television. I know last year you did um, a television special on the History Channel um, right. called Lost Magic Decoded. If you haven't seen that, uh, is it on iTunes? Uh, you can get it on iTunes and Amazon Instant Video, Got and um, yeah, it was uh, it was a two-hour special that um, took me around the world. I went to three continents to to film that, and it was a two-year project from beginning to end, from conception to being on air. It was a full two years. What did you learn? This guy, uh, Kevin uh, Capano's post number fifty in Chicago, is asking, "What did you learn about performing magic on television? What is the difference between performing magic on television versus?" You know, for a live audience that you know is, is a paid audience, for example. Right, right. Well, I see his question here. I'm looking at it now. Um, it says, you know, what was your question? Of, what is your experience uh, on the Letterman appearance or on the History Channel uh, show? So, you know, with both of them, first of all, I wouldn't do anything differently um, with the Letterman appearance. I was really pleased with how that turned out. Um, but what I learned from the History Channel special, um, I learned that I'd never done. Um, interview uh, where they I've never done uh, sections where they just put the camera in front of you and they say just talk and you know I'm usually used to having a script and 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 interacting with an audience um, things I know I'm going to say but when it was when it was like a reality TV show in a way and that's what we're doing for a lot of these interviews for lost magic I had to be extemporaneous I had to um, speak to the camera like I'm speaking to my friend and that's something I'd never done before. Usually when I'm in front of an audience, I'm dramatic and I try to, you know, play things up and it's a little bit of a hammy way of, of speaking to people. Um, but, you know, the camera picks up every little motion of your face and your eyes. And, you know, if you, over, if you overplay it, it looks stupid on TV. So I learned to kind of tone things down and just speak to the camera like I'm speaking to my friend. Um, and as far as, as far as as performing magic on TV, yeah, you know, um, specifically, um, you know, I learned that that um, you have to have a an uncut uh, view, so that when the audience at home is watching it, they don't feel like the camera cut away at the wrong time to make it convenient for the method. So they still need to have some integrity. I mean, you, you maybe you could use a clever edit, but you still need to have like an integrity for the audience at home and the audience who's there watching it. Um, one last question here, because I think it applies to the vast majority of people listening to this, is about nerves. 
uh, post from Momofin in North Carolina, post number 52. Do you still get nervous before your shows? Um, and how do, how do you overcome that? Was it ever paralyzing for you? What is your advice for you know, a young person getting into magic that may uh, you know, have shaky hands when they're performing or they get nervous when they're doing a trick for, for in front of a group? How do you overcome that? Well, I don't get nervous anymore. The only time I ever got nervous in recent memory was when Woody Allen came to the show. Um, I knew he was going to be coming, but when, just seeing him there is him, uh, Sunyi, his wife, and uh, their two uh, daughters. And they're sitting in the front row, and I, my mouth just dried up. I had cotton balls in my mouth, you know, that sensation when you just can't even open your mouth. And your tongue doesn't, doesn't work anymore. Uh, because I was in front of an idol of mine. You know, Woody Allen, I grew up watching his films and was always so thrilled. Um, you know, I was, I, was, I was thrilled when I knew that he was sitting there. But um, I got over it by just doing what I trained myself to do. And that was the same thing with Letterman. You know, like I, I was nervous backstage, but then I thought, okay, they only want me to be as good as I am. When, they, when I got booked to do this event or this show or this TV spot, they booked me based on what I've proven to be able to do in the past people don't want you to be better than they've booked you for. They, they, they like what you saw, they saw last time when they heard about you or when they saw your video or whatever. Um, so it's the same thing as a baseball player. Let's say that you got traded from, you know, from the Yankees to, uh, to the Angels um, or whoever, whichever team. You, know, you got traded based on your batting average. They like your batting average. They like the way you played, and therefore they, got, they traded you. They didn't trade you because they expect you to be better than the way that you played before. They expect you to be as good as they saw you before because they liked it. So when I go out in front of an audience, I, I know that they have a high expectation for me, and I go out there and I do what I train myself to do. To get uh, that confidence as a performer, was it something that you just got, you, you know, in, in overcoming any feeling of jitteriness and nerves? Was that just something that, that got better over time as you got more and more experience? Yes, I think it's, you know, it's, it's just like a pilot. They say, you know, a pilot gets, has flight time and, and becomes more experienced. And, you know, that's the same thing with a performer. You, you get flight time of being on stage. It's, you know, it's, it's essentially stage time. And, you know, the idea of being in front of a group of people becomes less, um, uh, you know, overwhelming, yeah. overwhelming to you. And, in fact, you know, one of the things I, I recommend in a book that I wrote called Win the Crowd is if you're really petrified about being in front of a crowd of people, one thing you can do is really easy. to Go to a movie theater, to buy a ticket to go to see your favorite movie or your latest movie, and then before the film starts, while the lights are still up, walk in front of the entire movie theater, okay, so you're at the, like the, the front of the theater with the screen behind you, and look at the entire audience of people there. They're not expecting you to say anything. They're not expecting you to do anything. You can just pretend like you're looking for your friend, you know, who's in a, in a row in the back. And just stand there for a couple of seconds or even for 30 seconds, however long you like, and you'll see all these people in front of you, and there's no expectation for you to do anything. But it'll give you some, some quote-unquote, stage time. It'll get you used to the of visual of how, that, how a crowd looks and feels, you know. Uh, exactly. And, 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 and there's no pressure at all, but you'll see what it's like. Oh, it's like, that wasn't that bad. And then you can just go and, and you know, sit down and watch the movie. And, you know, there's, it's just a way to trick yourself into know what it's, knowing what it feels like to be in front of a crowd. But, yeah, but I, I mean, at least in my experience, it's something that, you know, used to, I used to get very nervous before performing anything, but it's just something that gets 
1% or half of a percent better every single time you perform. Um, the more you perform, the less you, you know that anxiety feeling you're going to have because you've done it before. It's more routine. It's just like if you are going to go ride a bicycle for the first time, it is terrifying the first time you get on a bicycle. What is this this metal death machine that my father wanted me to sit on? It's like right, this is, right. I'm going to balance on two tires and how 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 the hell what what am I doing? But the more you do it, it becomes oh that's nothing. I can totally do that. That's 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 not a big deal at all. Um, right. You know, as a performer, I feel like it's good to have a certain amount of nerves. Not enough nerves is the right word for it but that that nervous energy before you go out for a crowd because that's what's going to make you sharper and that's what's going to make you uh, wittier and funnier and your keep your moves sharp and your mind you know working it as an engine yeah. at full speed so a certain element of that is good but not to an element where it paralyzes you or you can't you know your hands aren't moving right but the only way right. i've found to get over that is like you said either being in front of an audience some way or another, or just performing a lot. And that's, yeah. yeah, well, I mean, that's the thing, you know, I, I don't know, a lot of the people who are listening to this, a lot of the um, Theory 11 members, I'm assuming are probably doing more street magic or close-up magic or, you know, strolling magic, or uh, some, I suppose some people might be working at parties and doing whatnot. So that's that's great. It's it's really, you know, after a while, it's it's people practice. It's being in front of people, and the more people practice that you have, I like to call it people practice. Um, then you'll be able to you'll become desensitized to the nerves that would make you not be able to perform at your best. And this is getting Does that make sense? yeah, getting used to the that feeling of anxiety. Or the, I guess it's good anxiety. You're you're performing. You want to be. You want people to like you. You want to be good. You want to be funny. You want to be entertaining. You want to be. Um, memorable so that's good to have sure. a certain amount of that energy but the only way you're going to make that channel that in a positive way versus in a paralyzing negative way is just to get used to it get used to that feeling and, and channel it into a good thing not not a paralyzing a bad thing right and and, and finally the, the one other word that i have on this is that you know you have to be comfortable speaking to people about things other than magic so if you are you're if you're a good conversationalist in general if you can talk to people about topics that are unrelated to magic at all, then when it comes to your magic, people will want to listen to you, and and you you also feel like there's a, a more of a bond that you're able to create. But if you're so dedicated only to magic and you have no other interest outside of magic, and your only way to communicate with people is by having something in your hands to show them that, then you're kind of uh, limiting your ability to truly connect with people it's sort of like you're the performer first you want the, the audience to like you as a human second secondary you also want them to like the skill that you happen to be practicing or showing so yep you know paul harris when paul harris came to one of my earliest shows when i did in new york at the national arts club and after the show was over we sat down at the starbucks uh with him and me and my uh my collaborator mark levy and we asked paul you know to give his opinion of the show and he gave it uh, you know uh, nice comments, etc. And he said, you know, one of the things you need to work on is your persona so that people can sit down with you and without, for example, let's say you went on to a talk show and you were the magician on the talk show. You should be able to sit down in the chair with the host and talk about whatever you wanted to talk about and let people feel that they've experienced magic, even if you didn't do a single trick. They should still feel like they've actually been with a magician whether it's by the stories you tell, the attitude that you, that you uh, give off, the persona that you're creating as a performer 
has to be a magical one. It has to make people feel like they're experiencing someone who's got something special, something unique, something that you know is enticing that they want to see more of. That's an interesting way to put it too, because you can you mean, imagine watching David Blaine, for example, on a you know a, a TV talk show. He doesn't necessarily have to do a trick for you to feel a sense of mystery or it's very memorable. He has a very specific persona. The same with David Copperfield. Um, um, as, as well, they have a persona first that is them or an extension of them, however what you want to look at it. And that 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 image and that persona, which is I guess you could define as their brand, similar to what you have as your brand, is reflected in everything it is that they do, and every visual that you see. So you know yours being the millionaire's magician, that's reflected in the way your website looks. That's reflected in the way you know where you where you perform at, how you speak, how you dress how your audience dresses, all of these sorts of things reflect that image. Um, so it's not just about the tricks that you do, it's about the entire package. It's the whole world that you create for yourself. That's right. It's like I said with, with, when Slidini said, you know, the magician's like a general. You have to choose your battleground. You're making your own environment. You create your own world. And, you know, if, if you just expect magic to happen anywhere, then I suppose then you can work in, you know, strolling magic and whatnot. But I like to create this environment for magic, and the environment is, it has all the trappings. But by the time people come to see the show, they're already ready to see magic. They want to see it. They're, they're, um, they may have been preparing for this for weeks, you know, because the shows usually are sold out for, for a couple of months in advance. So they might have bought the tickets like, you know, two, three months ago even. And they keep on anticipating, oh, I'm going to see the magic show. I'm going to see the magic show. It's not like, you know, when you go to a, a, a bar mitzvah party and some magician walks up to you and says, hey, you want to see a trick? This is an you know, event it's, it's, in their it, life. It, it, it's a very different, you know, uh, power structure, a power relationship when the magician is subservient versus the magician is the star. And I've always wanted to make it so that people come to see me as opposed to me going to see them. Um, I know um, we've got to a lot of questions already, but before we ended this, I wanted to get to a little bit of uh, dropping some hints about what we've been working on. Um, I don't want to really, uh, yes. I don't want to give this away. I want there to be a sense of mystery and obviously in everything that we do, um, just to give people a little bit of a hint. Um, this month is August. Uh, on August 31st, 2007 is when Theory 11 originally launched. Um, that means that this time seven years ago, I was in my parents' garage working away on this website. Uh, and fast forward seven years later, I'm not quite at the 14-year mark that Steve is, but uh, seven years ago, that's when this whole journey at Theory 11 started. To celebrate that this month, we've got a lot of new releases coming out on August 31st. Um, one or maybe more of those is with uh, Steve. Uh, we've been working on something for several months. Um, I kind of don't want to say any more than that. Is uh, just to give you guys a hint of what we've been working on. It's something that we've been working on for a while. Um, hopefully, it's one of many collaborations that Steve, you, and I can can work on. But we're really proud of this. Um, at least I am. I'm very proud of the result. Um, we're excited to see your reaction to it. We've been working on it for a long time. Um, and you guys are going to be seeing more and more of it. I'm being so mysterious of it uh, in the next few weeks. But stay tuned for the next uh, week, especially. We'll be posting some details and hints and teasers and stuff over the next few weeks. I think we've got three weeks left, two and a half weeks left before the end of the month. But this will be available. This will be announced uh, before the end of the month. So you don't have too much longer to wait. 
Um, and there will be some teasers, I, I understand, right? Yes, we will definitely be showing more hints than this vague uh, hint I just gave on this podcast. But stay tuned. We're excited about it. I don't want to spill the beans just yet, but I'm excited about the the collaboration that we did. Uh, more so. Well, all I can all I can say is that everyone who I've showed to, I've showed a few people just little tidbits. Uh, they're very excited, and uh, these are some top names in you know in in magic. They've seen it and said this looks this is absolutely gorgeous so you know i think that people are going to really be excited very excited about it um and last but not least here i wanted to say thank you um first to the members um who submitted all these questions we've got uh several hundred questions here submitted over the last two to three days so thank you guys for posting your questions for putting yourself out there um, asking for advice that's important um hopefully what steve has said and shared in this podcast is valuable and helpful to you um, and thank you to Steve um, for your time and answering all these questions and giving not only myself but our members your time today to share your insight and your experience and your journey to getting uh, you know 14 years of success at the Waldorf especially um, so thank you for that it was uh, certainly my pleasure so um, thanks for inviting me on and we'll see you guys soon thanks so much